Facing a crisis in your life or business? Take the helm and steer yourself in the right direction. It's time to take charge and make things happen with your host, Lynn McLaughlin. And it's time to take the helm once again. Our guest today is Susan Johnson, and she is the author of Some Dreams Are Worth Keeping, which I've had the pleasure of reading. It's a memoir about her bipolar journey. She is a blogger for a mental health magazine, and we're about to hear or see her TEDx talk, waiting anxiously for it to be released. And it's called Having a Mental Illness is Not a Death Sentence. Thanks for joining us today, Susan. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be here. All right, let's jump in because, uh, as I said, I had the pleasure of reading your book. And at first, you explain in, in some detail that it was very difficult to talk about your bipolar disorder. And now you're speaking about it openly. What did you do to get past that fear, Susan? I think it was after writing the book. After writing, it was the book. Many, many years after, I was in remission when I wrote the book. So after I had lived all these up and ups and downs my entire life, I was able to write the book. And the reason why I wrote the book was it's a healing journey for me that I had to take because I was experiencing symptoms kind of like PTSD mm. and I couldn't get away from my past. So I decided to write about it and it took six years to do that. So when you, when you first started writing, were you doing it with the intention of publishing a book or was that part of your own healing journey, like journaling? Like I never thought anybody would, would see it. You know, now it's like my parents know my intimate details, my husband, it's out there for the world. Well, okay. So let's talk about bipolar for our listeners who may not understand what, what it is that you've experienced in your lifetime. So bipolar disorder is a mood disorder. It's a chemical imbalance in the brain which causes euphoric highs, known as manias, and devastating lows to the point of suicide. And I take medication, which keeps me even. And it's a genetic illness. That's another thing. Mm -hmm. And you do talk about in the book in the various, uh, uh, your experience with lithium, and I believe you talk about a medication cocktail. I mean, it took quite some time to, to figure out what worked for you, did it not? It really did. And it does for every person. People are like, well, can't you just take one drug and that will treat you? And it's like, unfortunately, we're snowflakes. Uh, those of us who have to take the medication and everyone has different side effects. And a lot of it, unfortunately, is weight gain. And I just thank God that I don't have to deal with that. I'm really, really blessed. The other piece that goes hand in hand is intensive therapy or counseling. And so that was part of your journey as well, Susan? Absolutely. Especially during my college days. The only reason why I really got through those really, really dark depressions was because of, you know, Dr. Ziggy is her name in the book, um, Dr. Catherine Evans. She was my rock. She educated me on how to be successful with bipolar, even though I was not open to that at the time. Later on, like now, it's helped me. Why do you think you weren't open to it at the time? Young. I'm going to do it my way. I was in my 20s. 
wants to listen to somebody sitting on the couch or take medicine or you know you don't want that life when you're in college when you find someone that you can connect with that you feel like you've got that bond with that makes that makes a huge difference in moving forward doesn't it it really does and you have to kind of shop around for the person too you know I know people that go into therapy and don't connect. So you don't get anything out of it. And I've had a therapist like that. I, I find that I do better with women. And when I moved to Virginia, I had a male um, psychologist. And I did not feel the connection, nor did I listen to any of his advice. Uh-huh. So then you, you, you continue. But in the meantime, when you don't have someone that you're connecting with, there are other ways that you found, Susan. So, you know, we're whole people right? So yeah. what are some of the other ways you found in terms of being well and in your whole being? Well, I started a spiritual mental health support group at my church. And I co-lead under a psychologist who is phenomenal. She spent her entire life just being amazing and helping so many people. She's been just a blessing to many, many, and we were connected and we run that. The only mental health support group in, I'm Catholic, in the Diocese of Las Vegas. And one of the things that you, that you, you state in your book, and I really, I, I took down this note because it was so meaningful to me. No matter how hard life is or how dark life is, we ask for help with faith and hope. And that is the essence of my TED Talk. That is a takeaway that I hope people will get when they are finished watching it. Well, we won't give too much away about the TED Talk, but I do want to dive deeper for people who are struggling right now, who are feeling the despair, who, wh what would be the first step that you would suggest, Susan, for, for people who just don't know where to go? Maybe there's a wait list for therapy or counseling and, you know, and what, what COVID's done over the last year has really put people in precarious places as well because of the additional stress. So for me, since I'm spiritual, I have, I go to God, but mm -hmm. I understand, I understand that not everybody is like me. And I think it's important to have a, just to have a belief in a higher being. So for me, there's a lot of praying going on, but I think it's important, like you said, to ask for help. Mm -hmm. I think that's the number one thing. And you know, if, like you said, if the therapists are busy, you know, find a family member, find a friend. Yeah. There's always someone there. You just kind of have to look sometimes. And when you're depressed, if you're in depression, it feels like you're completely alone, mm -hmm. you know, on a deserted island. And I get that. But you just have to believe that things are going to get better with time. And when we're in the depths of our, our, our despair, you know, we think we don't want to bother anyone. We don't want to burden anyone. When the, it's the absolute opposite of that. If someone I knew was feeling that way, I would, I would hope that they would be reaching out to me because I would be there for them in a second. For sure. It's time for a short break. Will you join us for this upcoming workshop and experience more passion, purpose, and power in your life? There is a seed of greatness, a dream, a purpose within each one of us. The challenge is to rediscover and act upon it. We will help you do that through a proven seven-step process to give clarity, confidence, and commitment to living on purpose. You will create a purpose roadmap with the fuel for your greatest passion. To learn more, you can register at eventbrite.ca 
The name of the workshop is Reignite Your Passion and Purpose in 2021, featuring Gary Gradley and Rosa Locasing. Now is the time for you, as the world needs you to show up living on purpose and making a positive difference. Now let's jump over to the blogging that you do for a mental health magazine. What, what does that look like and how can we find that information, Susan? So I blog, I'm a guest blogger for BP Hope, which stands for Bipolar Hope Magazine. And that's been a really amazing journey. I started it soon after the book came out. And I have had people from around the world read my blogs, thousands and thousands of people. And I'll actually have people reach out to me. And it's been a very honoring, honored, I'm honored and humbled to be able to share my knowledge and hope with people. And I also won an award a couple of years ago from healthline.com. And that was amazing. And I was very, it was very unexpected. Now, Susan, in terms of your blogs, this is going to be a tricky one because you've written so many of them. Um, can you share the contents or a little bit of a tidbit with a particular blog that is most meaningful to you? So I wrote a blog when I was at the lowest point of my life and how I've rebuilt my life to make it the success that it is today. All right. And that will be very meaningful to anyone who's, uh, who's grappling with this and is looking to make a first step. Oh, Sometimes nice. it's reading and education. In Canada, the, our largest research hospital, our mental health teaching hospital is called the Center for Addictions and Mental Health. And they have kits and modules and things to educate people and help people along baby steps. So, you know, there's other ways to get support. If you're not ready to talk to someone, there's texting. You can text for say, support. I do. I have a, a text support friend for my anxiety, especially with TED Talk on a daily basis. Yeah. And you know what? Facebook. They have a lot of Facebook groups for depression and bipolar. I'm on it like every day and everyone just, you know, puts everything out there. And the mighty, I, for anyone who's not familiar of, of an organization called the mighty, it is all about mental illness, mental wellness, mental health. So if you're looking for information about spe something specifically that you're working through, that's another place to look. And then we have um, in the United States, NAMI, National Alliance of Mental Illness. Do you guys have that in Canada as well? Yes, we do. We have uh, several national organizations. Yeah. So that's a big one here. I have yet to get very involved in it just because I'm working. Mm -hmm. So it's working and doing my own kind of church spiritual support group. And it's just too much to do it all, even though I'd like to. You can only do so much. I, I, want to, I want to branch out into caregivers as well, because when people we love are struggling, it's very, very stressful for caregivers as well. And there are many organizations to support you as a parent, as a sister, as a brother, as a friend, as a colleague. We have, we have uh, lots of chapters across Canada. I'm sure you do in the United States as well for parents of children's mental health, uh, support groups, peer groups, some of the things that you've talked about that have assisted you as well. So the wealth of resources out there, I don't think people are, are aware now of the wealth of resources that we have that we did not have 20 years ago. Yeah, I agree. And you through high school, if I can give up a little something about your book, uh, you're an athlete as well. Absolutely. Uh, I ran track and then I played soccer. So that's a sense of balance. I go back to the whole self, right? Yes, it was very good for me. Well, socially as well. I had a lot of friends and too many boyfriends. And 
Well, and I would say that's what's worked for my daughter too. She's a gym rat and she loves being outside in nature. And just that groundedness, I think, is, is what help, what's helped her to be well. So Yeah, and that helps me today very much. So I love to hike. Mm -hmm. I'm out there connecting with nature, taking care of stress, trying to deal with anxiety, all those things. Yeah. It's not one, one uh, what's the word, cookie cutter solution, is there? <laughs> no, it's different for everybody. Right. And a lot of people are finding some solace or some relief in things like Reiki and meditation and mindfulness training. And, you know, these things that I say were like, they weren't around 20 years ago. And you, YouTube. I do a lot of YouTube videos. Oh. I'm doing like fabulous 50s, even though I'm in my 40s. But I love <laughs> the weight videos and they're great. And I'm getting stronger. You know, it's encouraging me. We didn't have YouTube, you know, oh, that's a couple of years ago. That's very, very true. Very, very true. I want to, I want to hone in on one very specific thing. I know I've mentioned a few things in your book, but this one really rang true to me. And I, I just want to plea, especially to post-secondary professors out there. You talk about test writing. You talk about the stress that that caused you. Um, share a little bit from your perspective. And then I want to add, I'm a 31-year educator myself and also currently teach at the college. So jump on in, Susan. The stress was so bad that I ended up getting accommodations to be able to graduate from Drake University. I got so anxious taking these tests. At the time, back in the 90s, we used books. We would actually you know, have to write in them. And it was just trying to study, nothing would stick. And then having, you know, being timed, it was just, it was so hard. And my thoughts were all of, when you have bipolar disorder, you have problems organizing. Mm -hmm. So my thoughts were all, like I, I saved one of the papers when I wrote the book and I'm reading this and I'm going, how on earth did I even pass college? I had, I had a boyfriend that helped me and he was very, he was a CPA and he was very smart and he helped me with papers, quite honestly. And I also had a lot of one-on-one -on -one attention from my professors at Drake. And I would meet with them one-on-one. -on -one. They spent a lot of time helping me. And those accommodations, I mean, every university, every post-secondary uh, um, organization, now institution, shall we say, does have accommodations. But it rots my gut. And I'm just going to say it honestly here because it's still happening and it just happened to my daughter. An entire course based on nothing but tests and exams. So... I'm pleading with professors out there. When you do that, you put people who have any type of a mental health challenge in precarious positions, because it doesn't matter, like you said, Susan, it doesn't matter how much you study. It doesn't matter what you've got in there. When your emotions have risen to the point that you're not going to get through, all that information is gone. So, so professors out there, teachers out there, when you are assessing only based on exams and tests, you are really doing a disservice to your, to your students, not just academically, but for their overall mental health and well-being. Don't do it. It's don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. And if you have been, stop right now because we, we say so. <laughs> That's right. Uh, all right, Susan. Um, I want to jump over to a review of your book that um, was posted by Tammy on Amazon, if you don't mind. Absolutely. This book gives us an up-close and personal account of living with bipolar disorder. Susan starts from the beginning with what it felt like to know something was wrong, to getting a diagnosis, to finding treatment, and finally how she has learned to live with this disorder. But of course, it was not easy. 
From the book, you will learn about her painful experiences, her highs and lows, and her triumphs and her successes. It's a remarkable read. It's amazing to get those. Yes, it does. Tear up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we have a lot in common too. Let's just jump over because um, special education, of course, my career, 31 years in special education. You've had experience working in autism classrooms. You're working in a resource room right now. Yeah, I'm doing mainstreaming. If you don't know what that is, is I work with children that have IEPs, individualized educational plans. And I get to go into the class, general ed classrooms, um, kindergarten, first grade, and second grade, and help the kids in the classroom. And I get to do a lot of small group teaching. And I just work at an amazing school here in Las Vegas with an amazing principal and wonderful, passionate teachers and great kids. So I am blessed. And when we know how much early intervention makes a difference, doesn't it? It really does. So if you would like a copy of my book, Some Dreams Are Worth Keeping, you can find it on Amazon or you can go to my website at sjohnsonauthor.com and you can also read my blogs there and hopefully see my TEDx soon. Yes. Oh, I, I look forward to that. Well, Susan, do you have any closing or parting words for us today? I want people to know that if they're struggling with something, to always hang on to hope and faith and to know things will get better. So don't give up. Words of wisdom. And thank you so much for sharing honestly and openly and helping us to end this stigma. Like I said, we should be, we should be able to talk about this like we do diabetes or cancer or a heart attack or a broken bone. And you're helping to lead the way in doing so. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And this was a great interview. And before we say our farewells, next week, we're going to have a panel from the Brain Tumor Foundation of Canada. We've got some research to talk about what's happening with the We Spark Alliance right here in Windsor, Essex, which is an, a phenomenal collaborative organization making some great gains. And we're going to talk about a new resource that's available for educators when children are returning to school after having a brain tumor uh, or surgery or any type of intervention. So Susan, thank you once again. And on that note, everybody have a healthy and a safe day. We'll see you next Wednesday. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. To learn more from people who are steering in the right direction, go to lynnmclaughlin.com and search the archives of every interview or subscribe to this podcast feed. A new episode is published every Wednesday.